I'm so glad that if you are new that you're joining us today because, not because I'm preaching, but because it's on hope and you don't get a better message than hope. And if anyone leaves here today feeling hopeless, then just, nah, don't fire me. I need to feed my kids. But um, you can come for me, okay? We have, we're continuing a series called the Giving God Series. And this whole series flows out of the verse that is very well known, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We've shared over the past few weeks how not only does death not get the final say in our stories, but for those who believe, they also have access to that Level four joy that Pastor Bobby talked about a couple of weeks ago. Those who believe also have access to the peace that guards our hearts and minds that Pastor Bill shared about last week. And for those who believe, they also have access to hope that changes the world, that changes you, that changes your story. You don't have to raise your hand, but is there anybody that could use some hope for today. Do you need to be reminded, follower of Jesus, however long you've been following God for, about the hope that you have in him that is yours because of the son who came to you, rescued you, who gave you the spirit, who will, if you will allow, daily help you live out your God-gifted new humanity. I trust that if you will have eyes to see it and hearts that are just open to trust him, He will steady you in whatever it is that you face. Before we get going, I didn't bring up eggnog just to weirdly drink throughout my sermon. Got a little object lesson, because what would a good sermon be without one? I'm just going to pour myself a glass here and try to do this perfectly. Okay. All right, friends. Uh, Okay, we're going to pretend this isn't three quarters full. All right? Who likes eggnog? I see you haters. Who doesn't like it? Thinks it's the grossest drink on the face of the planet. Oh, Shannon! Come on. I love it, but I think I only 50% love it for the taste, and the other 50%, I'm just the most nostalgic, like, Christmas-loving human in the world, and so the other 50% is just sheer, like, nostalgia um, for me. So, for, um, yeah, (laughs) that is, okay, anyways, it's all right, guys, I'm a flawed human, all right? Would you say this glass is half what? <laughs> one, three. One, two, three. It's half. Oh, the optimists in the group. No, you don't have to raise your hand. Not do it. Raise your hand. I'll be in your group. How many said it's half empty? Anybody just to be a rebel? You're like, I know what she's getting at. I'm going to say it's half empty. I know you're out there. You don't have to say it. Okay, so um, I think there were some outliers who would have said empty. But those who said, all, which is like all of you almost, that it was half full, what would you, by the personality typist, typically be labeled as? Go. I gave it to you. Optimists. So optimists generally look at a situation and they what? They see the bright side of things, right? They're the chin-up people. I know it's bad, but it's going to get better. Things are going to turn around. And those who were thinking, I want to say half empty, but I know no one else is going to, you would be typically labeled what? Pessimists. These types tend to maybe look at those same events or circumstances and say, nope, (laughs) things are much more complicated than anybody is acknowledging. 
Things are probably going to go worse than anyone is thinking right now. Things are very, very, very bad. And if they're not very, very bad right now, they're probably going to get very, very, very bad. Now, so that you don't think I'm judging you, I'll give it a little story for you. When my husband and I take vacation, we have to take two weeks together. I'm thankful we can, but you know why we have to take two weeks together? Because if we didn't, I would not have a vacation. I would have a two-day vacation. This is how it would go. I would spend at least the first two days trying to just turn my brain off from work. I have two different jobs. My brain, just as a human being, goes nonstop all the time. So it would take me two days just to shut that off and resist the temptation to read my email. I would settle in and then I'd enjoy two days. And then I would spend two days just freaking out about how vacation is already over before it's over. And then on the last day, I would ramp my brain back up and turn it on, probably check my email when I'm not supposed to, just so that I can't be shocked by anything. Not that any of you ever do that to me. Um, and, then I, and then I'd be back. So I would only have a two-day vacation. It would not be fun. And so sometimes, I'm not going to label us, because it's not true of everything in our lives, but I can be a little bit of a pessimist. And Bobby, who sleeps very, very well at night, and very, very well at any time of day for his five-minute naps that literally he can fall asleep for five minutes. Drives me nuts. I love you. Um, he sleeps very well because his attitude when we have three days left of vacation is like, oh, Kath, like this revelation just came on. We have three more days. I'm like, oh, gosh, we only have three more days. Like, do you see the difference? Now, you could take or leave the whole um, personality typing. But humor me for one more second. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, which of these mindsets do you think that we should adopt, that we should take on? Go ahead, say it out loud. I know you're trying to analyze what she's getting at because it's probably a trick question. It kind of is. Okay, so optimism or pessimism? Some of you, most of you said optimism. I'm sure none of you would say pessimism, right? And I would agree. If you're going to lean towards something, lean towards optimism. But I'm going to argue that the true Christian life, the drop your nets and follow me kingdom building type of life that Jesus, calls us, that Jesus calls us to cannot be built on either. It can't be built on pessimism, obviously, but it can't even be built on optimism. And why not? Because neither are an example of true biblical hope. And biblical hope is the only hope that's doing anything, really. It's the only hope that can truly change the world. It's the only hope that can change your story. It's sometimes referred to as the good news or the gospel. And we're going to unpack what it really is, but I think it's important for us to peel back a few layers a little bit deeper of what it is not. And so that first one, biblical hope is not optimism. Why not? Optimism hopes for the best without the guarantee of it ever arriving. It can tend to deny reality or even diminish it. Henry Nouwen says it like this, optimism and hope are radically different attitudes. Optimism is the expectation that things, the weather, human relationships, the economy, the political situation, and so on, will get better. Hope is the trust that God will fulfill God's promises to us in a way that leads us to true freedom. The optimist speaks about concrete changes that ought to happen in the future. The person of hope, and this is the best, the person of hope lives in the moment with the knowledge and trust that all of life is in good hands. How would our lives change if we truly believed, truly, 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 with everything in us, that all of life is actually in 
good hands. Jesus was not an optimist or a pessimist. He spoke about a hope that isn't based on whether things will get better or worse, but Jesus' hope seemed to rest upon the idea that whatever the outcome may be, God will be with us at all times, in all places, and in all things. So biblical hope is not optimism, but it's also not wishful thinking. I am an incredible expert even, wishful thinker. I do it all day long. When I pick up my kids late or drop them off late, which is often, I wishful think, please turn green, please turn green, please turn green, please don't slide and drift around this corner. Please, I don't do that, I drive safely. Um, When I enter the Costco parking lot, please let there be a spot. Let there be a good spot, but I will take any spot, especially a spot that I don't, and anyone who's been to our Costco knows there is never a slow day. If you do know, why have you not told me? Or how about this, and I know that many of you, teachers, people who work with children, people who hold children, know this. As I clean up my pukey, fevered kids, when I clean up after them, I hope I don't get sick. I hope I don't get sick. Please don't get sick. And I'm like, I'm not going to get sick. The optimist. I'm, I have a killer immune system. Bobby's laughing. I do not have a killer immune system. Please don't get sick. Please don't get sick. That kind of hope isn't inherently bad. It's just not biblical hope. You can't build or shape your life on it might happen, but it might not hope. Because sometimes we know the light stays red. I feel like it always stays red for me. The Costco parking lot is always packed and crowded, and sometimes I just drive around and around, and I live around the corner so I can do this. I'm like, forget it, man, I'm going home. I, this is, I am not doing this today. I will come back again later. And every single time, what happens when I hug and smooch those fevered kids? I get sick. I've gotten four of the plagues that have been going around. I don't know if there's any more. Please just don't tell me, because I can't take it. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking, and biblical hope is not even expectation. Anybody who has experienced the gut-wrenching loss of a miscarriage knows this. Expectation isn't even a guarantee. It should happen. It happens for a lot of other people. Everything's pointing that it it should happen. I want it to happen. I really hope it happens. And yet there's a chance that it could not expectation seeks to put ourselves in in this position of control. This is what I think, and therefore it should be. I expect this particular part of my life to turn out this particular way. I expect I'll be married by this age. I expect that I will get this job. I expect my kids will turn out and behave a certain way if I raise them this way and I tell them to do these things. I expect that when someone tells me the truth that they are telling the truth. I expect bad things won't happen to good people, and I expect good people won't do bad things. I expect that God should heal me when I'm sick and when I ask. I expect that since my first expectation didn't work out of having a daughter, I have three sons, that I'm going to end up with three daughter-in-laws who think I'm just about the greatest human being that they have ever met. They are going to celebrate every holiday at my house. They're going to go to live theater with me. They're going to go shopping with me and not complain. And they're going to buy my Christmas gifts for the rest of time on behalf of my sons. (laughs) Ah, thank you for that wishful thinking, Hope. I expect, I expect, I expect. And maybe some of what I expect especially if it's aligned with the will of God, will take place. But maybe some of the things I expect are not going to happen. 
because sometimes they don't. And again, expectations are not inherently wrong. You can't live life without having any kind of expectation. An expectation that's rooted in true biblical, biblical hope, that's worth hanging your hat on. The question is, is our hope dependent on them being met? If things don't work out the way that I hopefully expect them to, does my hope still remain? Or does my world implode and leave me feeling hopeless? If my hope, whatever I feel my hope is, can be obliterated by anything that happens to me in my life, then I'm going to suggest that that's not true biblical hope to begin with. And I want to acknowledge and I want to say that I know that it is painful, very, very painful, when things don't turn out the way that we hopefully expect them to. I have hit steering wheels many times, and I have cried at traffic lights for seasons of my life that did not happen the way that I thought they would. Things, harsh winds that came in that I couldn't have predicted, and I just thought, I expected that that wouldn't happen to me who's faithfully serving God. But in those moments, when my optimism went away, and my wishful thinking went away, and even my, my expectations were laying in pieces, hope stepped in, and hope held me, and hope got me here today, and hope I have watched do crazy, crazy things in people's lives when expectations were just shattered. Biblical hope remains expectation is not the anchor for your souls. The word does not say that. And so if that's what you're holding on to today, I just challenge you to lovingly and with compassion, because it still is very real, place that down and pick something else up. Pick up true biblical hope that when life brings shockingly fast winds your way, will hold you and will be an anchor for your soul. Well, you're like, well, tell me what it is, Kath. Well, here I am. I'm gonna. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. I love this. This is our hope, you guys. It's labeled appropriately the certainty of God's promise. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, by the way, hope translated means to wait. Abraham received what was promised People swear by someone greater, the, greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and it puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm, secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. What is biblical hope? Biblical hope is certain. It is not a wish. There is not a chance that it won't happen. It is sure. It is a 100% steadfast guarantee. God will fulfill God's promises because God cannot lie. There is not an oath. There is not a promise that he has promised you in his word that he will not fulfill, that he will not keep. Which means what? Biblical hope does not disappoint. 
Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you put your hope in the promises of God, it will not be in vain. It will be difficult, but it will not be time wasted. There will not be crickets at the end of your life when everything shakes up like, oops, guess I was wrong. Like, no way, not a chance, because my God, your God, cannot lie. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Amen. Let's look at some times where he proved to be faithful. Abraham, who received the promise of a son in his old age. Noah, who survived the flood and started the human race all over again. Moses, who parted the Red Sea. The children of Israel, who walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Joshua, who watched the walls of Jericho fall after going for some walks around the block and blowing on horns. Daniel, who spent the night with pre-incarnate Jesus in a den of lions without one single scratch. His buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into a fiery furnace. But when the king looked, there was four, not three men, walking around the flames unharmed. Mary, who was told by an angel that she would be the mother of the Son of God while still a virgin. The thief on the cross, who Jesus promised would be in paradise with him. Look at the cross. Hope is radical. Hope is supernatural. And hope sometimes is kind of weird. But it is carried through. It is fulfilled. Hope says, yeah, I know this is bad. Philip Yancey says this, Jesus or scripture won't ever diminish your pain or pretend that there is no darkness in your world. Scripture does not do that. It just puts a temporary on it. Hope steps in and says, yes, this is bad, but my hope is in someone that is beyond this. My hope is building something that will last beyond this. Our true biblical hope is Jesus. Jesus is the kept promise of God, you guys. That's why Christmas is so awesome, and I love it so much, because Jesus, is who came to be with us, is the kept promise of God. Jesus is the hope of the Christian gospel, salvation, resurrection, eternal life, and so much more. Hope is present because he came to us, and his spirit is with us still. And hope for our future is that he is coming again. Amen? Amen. Matthew 12, 21 says, In his name nations will put their hope, as they should, and so should we. And this is where the Christmas spirit comes in. I want you to picture the nation of Israel. In a period of absolute darkness, it's been 400 years since they've received a prophetic word from God as a nation. Things are not good. I don't think there were many optimists in the crowd. They haven't been good. They are an oppressed people. And then God speaks hope to Isaiah, through Isaiah, to the nation of Israel. Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is prophetic of what is to come. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, as we sang, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the kept promise of God. And by the way, they waited a long time after that prophetic word for that baby to be born in a manger. And yet hope 
waits and trusts that God and God's freedom and God and God's creativity will fulfill every promise. John 1:14, we know he fulfilled it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 8, 12, this is Jesus. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. I love that he added that because he acknowledges that death. We are not promised that death will not be a part of our story. We are never promised that suffering won't. That's for sure. I think we're going to talk about in the new year about what hope, what suffering produces in us. He acknowledges it, but again, he puts a temporary on it. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Not really. Do you believe this? He asks. And then I ask you the same thing. Do you believe this? Do you really? Because if so, you have hope. You have the hope that's an anchor for your soul. You have a hope that will remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But hope is not just a side act. Hope remains in the end. Last week in the service, um, Frank, when he was up here, he was praying the Lord's Prayer. And part of that prayer is this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, bring your kingdom here to earth. Jesus tells us to pray that. Why? He tells us to pray that because he knows it's possible. And not only is it possible, he knows it's the plan. He's the plan. The Father and the Son and the Spirit devised a plan to redeem and to reconcile their loved creation. And that loved creation is us, and it's the earth that we are living in. And that manger and that cross, they are the plan. They are the counsel of God carried out. The merging of heaven and the merging of earth, the kept promise of God has already begun, and it's continuing right in the here and now in our lifetime. Like, I think sometimes we forget that. Like, the hope of Christ is not on the other side of a really good worship set or even on the other side of a good sermon. It's like ours to access all the time in the now, and it's not even fully brought to completion. That's crazy. There's this verse, uh, there's not a verse in all the Bible. Let me clarify that. It's a quote, a good quote. Um, and I love it. And I think it's one of those ones that are just going to stick with me for a while. It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And it talks about this heaven and earth merging together. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Our hope is in a distant Hope beyond our reach. It's here and it's now and it's everywhere and I think we just miss it so much. Don't miss the glimpses of heaven that are revealed to us all the time through God's creation and through one another. This is why we have to love each other, you guys, because you bear the image of God. I bear the image of God. Charlie bears the image of God, as I said. And I don't always see it. None of us do, and I don't always worship and thank God when I do, but there are certain times that I just, those glimpses of heaven just halt me. They make me pause, and I do worship, and some of those are this. My kids, I don't always take off my shoes around my kids and act like I'm on holy ground, let me admit it, but sometimes I do. The gratefulness that I feel, the absolute insane mind boggling love that fills me when I look at my kids and I let their, my love for them fill me up so much that I think I'm just going to explode. 
I need to recognize that I'm on holy ground there. I'm experiencing a glimpse, a mere glimpse of the Father's love for me. Those sweet boys bear God's image. And if I love them the way that my Father loves me, I literally can be a signpost to them of their Father who loves them. This summer, Bobby and I spent a lot of time in our canoe. Now, when our kids were in the canoe, was not very peaceful. But sometimes we got to be in there just us. And we experienced then moments of just stillness, like, and just such beauty that was around us that just felt like our good shepherd led us beside still and quiet waters. Creation itself bears God's image. I love when my son Willem, he's a little activist, and he can't stand when people litter. It makes him so angry. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, dude? I think it makes God angry too because this is God's good creation that he's not just getting rid of. He's renewing it. And so we have, anyways, we have a mandate to look after God's creation. When I baptized you, Patsy, who's right there, I had a glimpse of heaven there. I had a glimpse of the merging of heaven and earth when I saw and I knew, I saw biblical hope on your face. I heard biblical hope in your story that could have ended one way, but you trusted God and he gave an anchor for your soul that changed everything. And you're here today, part of the family of God and worshiping with us. That's heaven and earth merging together. I am reminded in those moments that anything outside of the kingdom of God, the things that worry us and cause us stress, they're not lasting. They're not lasting. The kingdom of God, when it comes and it's, com and it's complete, it's all that goodness, all the time. And so I have two challenges for you today in light of this hope that we have. Would you build for the kingdom in the here and now? Our hope is not just a distant hope. It's not just a future hope. It is a present hope. Let your life, the way that you work, the way that you parent, the way that you serve, Love, the way that you grieve. We don't grieve as people without hope. We grieve, but we grieve a little differently than people with no hope. The way that you give, the way that you use your resources, the way that you recycle, all of it can be a signpost to the kingdom of heaven for others. What you do here really actually matters. And I think that it matters because like I said, God doesn't just toss away a broken creation. No, he renews it. He makes it new. And he wants to do that in part through us. And so ask God today. Ask God tomorrow. Ask God in your coming and your going. God, where do you want me to plant a seed? God, where do you want me to plant a garden over here where it looks dead and like no life can come out of it? And then ask his spirit to help you to do it. And last but definitely not least. And hey, those of you who are filled up with hope today, I'm so glad. I am so grateful. But for those of you who are not, and you feel like you are awfully close, if not already there, to hopelessness, I beg of you, please anchor your life around the promises of God and compassionately put down whatever you were holding before. When optimism and expectancy let you down and you know that you can't, have, you can't adopt a mindset of pessimism because it will take you out, you're gonna wanna know what you can hold on to. And the only way that you can know what you can hold on to is to read the promises of God and to meditate on them and to read them and read them and read them and, and, and have them on your mind. Put them somewhere in your home that you can see them. Read them as you go and read them 
when you come back and before you go to bed and think about them. I sometimes, when I was in dark, dark seasons of hopelessness, I just played scripture on an audio thing over and over and over because I couldn't bring myself to have the energy to read it. But I let it rest on my mind and I let that peace of Christ guard and protect my mind. And hope remains, you guys. Hope anchored. Your word, O oh God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you are in darkness, you need the light that will light your path and will push that darkness back. And if you don't know any of the promises of God and you're here today and you're like, she seems pretty pumped about this, but I've never experienced myself. Let me loan you a promise. You can have it. You can keep it. Let it be an anchor that steadies you today. It's Isaiah 43, 1-2. Now this is what the Lord says. Remember the God who cannot lie. He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass, not if you pass, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flames will not set you ablaze. The wonderful counselor, guys, has come. The wonderful counsel, the plan that that triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit made to redeem you, to redeem all of us, to redeem creation. It's already in our lifetime been put into motion. It's happening now. It's happening this morning when we worship together in church. Do you know why I love it so much? Sometimes I'm just quiet and I just listen because that's a glimpse of what's going to remain in heaven. It's happening. Heaven and earth are merging all of the time. This is our hope that not one promise that God has made will he break. Not one promise. They will 100% guaranteed be kept. As you go today and you go into the Christmas season, I just want to remind you again, that comfort service, for those of you who are needing comfort, it's in the chapel, which is on the other side of our building. Christmas Eve, we'd love to have you here. I'm sure I stole some of it from Pastor Bill because it's that Jesus gives his son. But you can't talk about hope without talking about how Jesus has given us his son. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite the one who you think is pretty close to hopelessness because there is hope to be had for them. And now um, I want to pray with you. And then I asked Bobby if he would just sing a song. And you're, after I pray, you're, feel free to be dismissed. But I've just made a loop of some promises of God. Because even if you've read them before, I needed to be reminded of them. And so feel free to just sit as they sing a song about how Jesus is our living hope. And just meditate on those scriptures. Just let them rest on you. Let them be an anchor for your soul. Because I know that some of you just need that. You just need that anchor to steady you in what you're facing. And so if, you, if I can, let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you so much that you're a living hope. God, I thank you for the, your good counsel that is a plan, Father, to redeem and reconcile all of us. Anything that is broken, God, that brokenness doesn't last into the kingdom, but you are going to bring in full completion every promise you ever made, which is that, God, you are with us. Father, your spirit is with us to do what it is <laughs> that you called us to do, to be partners with you in building for the kingdom. And then God, I thank you that our future hope is that you're coming back and you're gonna make it all right, 100%, completely fulfilled. 
Father, I pray for the one who is close to hopelessness. God, I pray you would interrupt those thoughts, those lies, because they're only from the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I pray you would interrupt it, God, supernaturally with your truth, that they are loved by you, that they are yours, that they are called by you according to your purposes, that, Father, you have a plan and a hope and a future for them, not to harm them. And so, God, I pray that they would cling to that like an anchor for their soul, like their life depends on it, because it very well might. And so, Father, would you rest that truth on their minds and guard their hearts, I pray. We love you, Jesus, and we celebrate you this season. Celebrate that we have hope. And, God, I pray that you would just fill us with hope as we go. And, God, that we would be signposts to the people you have placed around us of a good father who gives the very best gifts, one of them being hope that changes the world and changes their story. In your name I pray, amen. Love you, family. Thanks for letting me talk to you today. I pray that as you meditate on scripture, that it fills you with the hope of Christ. Have a wonderful Christmas, and we'll see you Christmas Eve, right? Some of you are excited. <laughs> Thank you.